Welcome to Theory of Indivisibility, solutions-focused evolutionary analysis of our social, economic, and political systems delivered to you in short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Dr. Sunjata. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the final episode of season one of Theory of Indivisibility. I am so happy that you've chosen to join me once again. And yes, you heard that correctly. This is the final episode of season one. I'll share a little bit more about that in a moment. In the previous episode titled Systemic Racism Part 2, I read an essay that I wrote in 2020 titled Why I Walked Away from White People that covers my own personal coming of age tale of how I navigated race from childhood to the present. It was a deeply personal and transparent essay. I highly recommend checking it out. During today's episode, we're going to explore the social system that we call education. To do so, I'm going to share a talk that I gave on the topic in 2019. During season one of Theory of Indivisibility, we are exploring the evolutionary origins, current complexities, and how my theory of indivisibility applies to the following social systems. Power over, patriarchy, religion, ownership, capitalism, democracy, systemic racism, and education. Season one evolves like a book. So for clarity's sake, I suggest starting from episode one if this is your first time listening. I want to give a huge shout out to my newest patron, Maddie. Maddie, thank you so much for supporting the continued production of this show. A huge shout out goes to all of my patrons who've chosen to support this show and let me know that you're truly getting value out of listening to it. It really, really means a lot to me. My goal is to avoid bombarding you all with commercial advertisements and to be fully listener supported. And the more people who support, the more time I'm able to take away from other income earning projects and put towards this podcast. So if you truly value this work and you want me to keep going, please let me know by by visiting patreon.com forward slash live indivisible, excuse me, live indivisible to become a patron today. So. As I said before, this is the last episode of season one. I'm so excited that, well, I say I'm so grateful that those of you who've listened to one episode or all 26 uh, have gone on this journey with me. I'm truly grateful that, you know, you all find value in the energy and the effort that I've put into learning the things that I've learned and choosing to uh, share them back with all of you and thinking through it and listening to your responses and talking to some of you uh, through your emails or those of you who have contacted me personally because we've met in real life. I'm just so grateful for, you know, the affirmations and you letting me know that, you know, you're gaining so much value. I've this is a learning journey for me and I'm literally just sharing what I've learned. And by me speaking, it allows me to, to think and this platform has allowed me to deepen my understanding of these concepts, concepts like systems thinking, 
concepts like biomimicry and ultimately concepts that are all about how to make the world more sustainable, both environmentally as well as socially. And that's what this work is is intended to do. And that's uh, this podcast is a part of me uh, doing my part uh, in that direction. So all of you who've gone on this journey with me, I feel like you just listening and learning and sharing your feedback uh, is, is a part of you doing your part as well. And I'm so grateful for that. I want to share with you a little bit about some of the things that I'm planning for season two. So I'm planning on uh, season two being more interactive with other people. So I'm, th- I'm, I'm thinking about panel discussions about hot topics. I'm also thinking about versus episodes where guest panelists and I will discuss elements from my theory of indivisibility infographic, like, for example, power over and control versus power with and collaboration or moral judgment versus liberation and how they both currently manifest in society. I also want to do interviews with authors, activists, organizers, people who are engaged in liberation and sustainability work. So another thing that I'd like to do is go live on Facebook that I'm planning to do is go live on Facebook so that you could watch these podcasts uh, and these various discussions in addition to just listening to them. So I'm really excited about these possibilities and I'm hoping that you all will continue on with me during this discontinued journey. So one of the things that I've shared uh, over and over at the end of every episode is that I do all the editing and the production of the show. And that takes a lot of time. And it's one of the reasons as I juggle life and my other work and projects, uh, why there could be long, long gaps in between episodes. Well, I'm thinking about bringing on some help. All right. And getting a production and editing uh, partner. And right now, that cost for that would be about $700 a month. And we currently receive through Patreon about 200, fluctuates between 200 and 400 a month. So again, for those of you who have been following this journey and you truly get value from it, uh, it would really mean a lot if you could, you know, uh, become a patron and uh, help out with, with bringing on that extra help because that will allow me to focus on just um, pushing record and um, the, the partner, the production partner would help with planning and organizing all the guests and everything so that I could uh, push record and have these rich discussions about how to make our world a more sustainable and liberating place more often. And there'll be smaller gaps in between shows if I have that support. So wanted to share that with you all. And again, if you're not able to contribute financially, just sharing episodes, telling a friend, forwarding it through text message, email and social media also goes a long way towards gaining more support for the show. Now let's transition to the talk. The talk that you are about to hear was given at the Pathfinder Community School, a self-directed learning community in Durham, North Carolina. I've been fortunate to have been given the platform to give several talks throughout my adult life. And to date, this talk, titled Self-Directed Education for a Sustainable Planet, is the talk that I'm most proud of. It truly captures everything that I've learned and tried to convey through my theory of indivisibility and this podcast about how to create wellness and sustainability within our relationships, families, communities, and our planet. 
I hope that you enjoy it. Thanks for those of you who've come out again, who heard me speak yesterday. Um, thanks to Hope um, for, you know, thinking about this, providing this platform and this opportunity. And thanks for all of you, again, for who support, you know, her visions to bring these, you know, opportunities to life. Um, so the talk that I'm going to be giving you all today is called SDE for a Sustainable World. And how many of you all, by show of hands, um, would say probably like in the last two years, your awareness of sustainability, climate change, and all those things have gone up significantly? Can anyone say that? Okay. Same here. Um, like many of you, you know, I've just been kind of going along following the, the, the free prescribed scripts of life. And um, that wasn't one of those things that were, was like told to me to be aware of. Um, but I've been paying attention lately and it's, it's some, some interesting perspectives. I know, you know, people have varying opinions of those perspectives, um, but they're out there. And as I think about the person I've evolved uh, to become to be more aware of these things, um, I start to see like connection points and patterns around how we got to this point and also about what the solutions, the potential solutions are, um, you know, for the long term. And what I'm going to share with you all, it may be, um, it may be confirmation for a lot of you. It may resonate with a lot of you, but for some of you, what I'm going to share may be really uncomfortable. Um, it may be a paradigm shift. Uh, it may be a comfortable paradigm shift. It may be an uncomfortable paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. Um, but I just ask that you um, know that I'm not here to coerce or change anyone uh, and where you are. Uh, my only goal is to dialogue with you and just share my perspective. And I hope that you will be able to include my perspective in your world and your greater worldview, not necessarily feel like it's something that needs to change your greater worldview. Is that okay with everyone? So the reason we're even having this conversation is because humans, we as humans, as civilized humans, have neglected, abused, and gotten out of alignment with our most, our most important relationship. And that is our relationship to nature. And so what is, what is nature? Um, so the way that I explain nature is that nature is a collection of interconnected and interdependent systems and subsystems. Everything in nature is a system. Everything is a system. And these systems interact in a circular manner, creating feedback loop relationships that bring balance and sustainability to environments. So we've grown up being taught to think in linear ways. See, we kind of see straight lines. We see a point A and we see a direction towards point B and then point B leads to point C, point C leads to point D. And it's this, this continuation of events. That's kind of how we're taught growing up to see how the world unfolds and exists. But in reality, we live in a world of circles. We live in a world of circular relationships. So A influences B, B influences C, 
and C influences A and A influences B over and over and over again. These are called feedback loops in, as a scientific term. So nature provides us with a blueprint for balance and sustainability. And I'm going to give you some examples of how this blueprint works and how these feedback loops work. So I said everything's a system, right? And everything in nature is a system. Well, guess what? Humans are nature. All of us, we're nature. And all of us are systems. So, for example, humans consist of a series of systems like our skeletal system, our nervous system, our digest digestive system, endocrine, respiratory, circulatory, et cetera. We're all familiar with those, right? And the unique thing about those systems is that they all have systems within them that make them go, right? But each of these systems have distinct responsibilities in order to make us go, in order to sustain our lives, in order to sustain our environment, right? And the interesting thing about these systems is that they interconnected and they're interdependent. They need each other. If you separated all those systems outside of our bodies, you would no longer have a function in human, right? If you destroy one or more of those systems, you destroy the whole system of the human. Generally speaking, we can't live to our fullest extent without those systems, right? They don't compete with one another. Um, they work together. They're interdependent. They're interconnected. And when I think about, like, for example, the digestive system, so we put food into our mouths and we chew, you know, so we use our teeth. There's all these various parts, these subsystems like our teeth, right? And we chew the food and then we swallow and it goes down our throats and, you know, then it gets into our intestines, our, you know, uh, large and small intestines, et cetera. And it goes through all these processes. And then the system shares with the other systems, the various nutrients and, you know, sustenance that's needed for the rest of the body and the other systems. And then it disposes of, you know, whatever it was we ate and it just works, right? It just works. How do any of you ever think about how it works or like, um, or let me say it like this, does that system need any special training to work? Oh. <laughs> it doesn't need any special training. We don't even think about the process at all. Um, it just works because that's the intention. That's the, the way it was designed to work by nature, by God, by the universe, whatever your belief system says, there's this magic that happens that we don't even have to give any thought to, but it all works. No, no system is more important than the other system. No system has any more value than the other one. No system has more power than any other any any of those systems but yet they all work to sustain life and support one another okay sorry to interrupt you can you did you tell people how your canvas systems theory for those who don't listen to your podcast just interject a little bit of the bio sure sure um and thank you for being doing that again yeah. <laughs> um <clears throat> So everything I'm, I've kind of given you a system story, right? Um, 
And I came to learn systems thinking and what's called systems theory through my doctoral studies. Um, prior to that, I was someone who always kind of had this desire to want to see our world be a better place, to want to see people get along, um, wanted to see peace and harmony and, you know, all those things. And when I was, I was a public school teacher, um, well, first I was in the business world for a bunch of years. And then when the markets crashed in 2008, I had to use my degree and I decided to teach um, because I said, I'm going to work for anyone. I'm going to work for children. So I went into the public school system and immediately Not my entrepreneur for the children. Right. <laughs> right. Immediately, like my entrepreneurial mind wanted to solve problems and do things differently that I felt were like more efficient and more, you know, just better. And I was told, no, you gotta play the game. You know, you can't get in here and start changing things. So um that didn't feel too good. And I immediately just started recognizing like some inefficiencies within that system. And also at that time decided to go back to school get my master's and my doctorate. Um, and during my doctoral studies is when I got introduced. I had a class that was called Thinking and Systems. That's where I'm going with all this. I had a class called Thinking and Systems. And when I took this class, Thinking and Systems, it was like night became day. It was like all these things that I was feeling um, in terms of like seeing and feeling these inconsistencies in the world, feeling this like this, this lack of balance and um, all this dysfunction. When I learned systems theory, it made it all make sense. It gave me the language, it gave me the tools to be able to understand the why behind the problems that we see in society and the disconnects that continue to perpetuate those problems. It also empowered me to know that everything is a system. There's, which where I was gonna go, I'm gonna go here anyway, but there's natural systems, but then there's also human-made systems. And this, it's, it's not this is not something that's like when I when you hear the word, the word theory, a lot of times you think, oh, it up. But this is something that literally can be proven, you know, through um, empirical evidence, scientific evidence that these natural systems exist. And this conversation that I'm having with you and the way I'm doing it, I'm sure that it's just going to be like, yeah, there are systems inside of me and they all interconnect and are interdependent and all these things. It just makes sense. It's logical. Um, but what systems theory helped me to do is make the connection to how those same processes also apply to our human systems and understanding that these human systems were created, um, you know, and um, by other humans and it empowered me to think that if humans created these systems in the ways that we live and interact with one another, our social systems now, um, then humans that are alive today, we have the power to create, you know, systems that are more sustainable. And that's ultimately where I'm going with it. And, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the background, the very short background bio of how I kind of got to being able to understandings that I have to be able to have this conversation with you. So thank you. So let's talk about another natural system because we're talking about natural systems right now. Okay, so let's go back to natural systems. So I gave you an example of humans being a natural system, right? So another natural system that I'm sure all of you are familiar with and you can you can identify with is the oxygen carbon dioxide cycle. So, you know, we we as humans have this relationship with plants, right? We have this relationship with plants where when we breathe, 
um, rebreathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide, CO2. And carbon dioxide is a waste product for us. It's waste. We take in what we need from the oxygen and then we give out the waste, which is carbon dioxide. But uh, plants breathe in the carbon dioxide and that's food for them. And they use the carbon dioxide and the photosynthesis process to create their food and their nutrients. And then they give off a waste product. And the waste, the waste or byproduct of that process for them is something called oxygen. And that something gives us life. Do you see the circle? The circle in that relationship. So what's unique about that relationship um, and that circle is that, once again, is that something that any of you give any thought to? Is there any special training that's needed for us to have that relationship with plants and for them to have that relationship with us? Do either of us, plants, people, have any more value than the other? Anyone have more power than the other in that relationship? Nope. It's A leads to B leads to C leads back to A leads to B, C back to A over and over and over again. We're in relationship. It's a symbiotic give and take relationship. And nature is full of them, full of those symbiotic give and take relationships. Another interesting thing is that do you think all plants give off the same amount of uh, oxygen? They don't. But do any of you wake up in the morning having any fear that there won't be enough? Is there any judgment against the plants that give off less versus the ones that give off more? Do we go around saying that lazy plant? <laughs> You only give off certain cc amount of you know oxygen today you Algae didn't dominate the world <laughs> right ocean dominance. we don't do that we don't judge them we don't judge it in that way you know what we do <clears throat> we trust and we know that it's through the collective relationship all of our needs will be met through the collective contribution of all of the plants that it will sustain us but but I, I will I'll say for me, I never gave it any thought, never gave any any thought. And so I started thinking about these concepts that I'm sharing. But it works. You know why? Because that's just the intent of the design of nature. Nature designed us in that way. Or whether it be God, universe, whatever you believe. Right. It's the magic of the design. Another interesting thing along the same lines of the give and take with plants and humans is um, when we give off quote unquote waste, you know, um, whether it be CO2 or when we indefecate and we give off waste, guess what? That also, that fertilizes the ground and provides nutrients for, you know, the earth, the soil, the plants. And what do they give us in return? Food, right? food, nourishment that we then take in and we eat and then we give off waste again and they use that for their nurture. There's that circle. There's that cycle once again, right? So many examples. I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to give you one more. Um, another thing that sustains us is what? Water. So 
So we oxygen, food, water. We need these things. All animals need these things to sustain, right? And nature provides this provides these things to us at no cost. Any of you ever pay for oxygen? Right? Like we don't have to pay for this, and we they don't we don't pay plants, you know, for what they provide. It's a relationship, it's a symbiotic give and take relationship. The water cycle, rain, which is precipitation, collection, evaporation, condensation, and then back to precipitation. So we have rain, and the rain collects in our lakes, our rivers, our oceans, then it evaporates, and through the condensation process with the clouds, it rains again. So we have this cycle, right? The water cycle it just works. It just works. The most important life-sustaining processes are things that work without us having not, not having to give it any thought, without having to train nature, or let's say the plants, because we're all nature, but train the plants to do their part. They don't have to train us to do our part. Water, that cycle doesn't have to train us. We don't have to train it. It just happens, right? Why? Why does it just happen? Because that's the intent. That's the grand design of the universe, the space that we live in. It's how it all is designed. So I came up with a term. Nothing I come up with, I'm sure, is unique. I'm sure someone else has come up with it somewhere. But I like to call it, um, I like to call it nature's economy. In the way nature's economy, this magic that I'm talking about, or AKA nature's economy, the way it works is this. Each system automatically meets the needs of other systems as a byproduct of meeting its own needs. So take that in. And remember, everything is a system. So whether we're talking about the systems inside of your body, they're not working for the other systems. No one has, none of those systems have more power. None of them had to learn it. All those, you, you, I'm, you know, you're catching a pattern. I know you're catching it. Um, but each system automatically meets the needs of other systems as a byproduct of meeting its own needs. <clears throat> Here's another thing I want you to think about. Within this grand design of natural systems, Systems, there is no, we use the word waste, but there is no waste because what we, what I'm calling waste, because that's the language I haven't, I don't know of another word for it yet. We can call it byproducts of these processes. I, I can say that, but all of our quote unquote waste or our, our byproducts give life to other parts of the system. Gives life. There's no waste. Everything is used. It's efficient. It's sustainable. Natural systems are sustainable. These circles, they're sustainable. There's no pollution in natural systems. When they're balanced, they're just sustainable. So let's talk about the sustainability crisis. According to NASA, and on their website, um, on Earth, human activities are changing the natural greenhouse. Over the last century, the burning of fossil fuels like coal and oil has increased the concentration of atmos atmospheric carbon dioxide. In its fifth assessment report, 
the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, a group of 1,300 independent scientific experts from countries all over the world under the auspices of the United Nations concluded that the industrial activities that our modern civilization depends upon have raised atmospheric carbon dioxide levels from 280 parts per million to 400 parts per million in the last 150 years. The panel also concluded that there's a better than 95% probability that human produced greenhouse gases, such as carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide have caused much of the, much of the observed increase in Earth's temperatures over the past 50 years. So basically, <clears throat> we did this. Humans did this. When we talk about the sustainability crisis and climate change and all, all these various things, humans did this. Um, and when I say, you know, we did this, basically the industrial, you know, processes have just gotten things out of balance, right? We're putting way too much CO2 into the atmosphere atmosphere that the natural, Earth's natural systems can't keep up with. There's not enough plants and trees to absorb it all, right? So the ecologist Julian Caldicott explains it like this. The crisis of sustainability is the collective effect of environmental changes with which humanity cannot live in the long term. These include ozone depletion, biodiversity loss, and mass extinction, ecosystem and land degradation, drought and desertification, crisis of water supply and sanitation, pollution of the land, sea, and air by a wide range of persistent and destructive toxins and climate change. All have proven to be large-scale, long-term, pervasive, resistant to piecemeal, easy or cheap solutions, and in many cases, mutually interactive and reinforcing. They also combine with other human-caused problems, such as overfishing, overpopulation, and war, to undermine the living conditions, livelihoods, health and well-being of almost everyone on Earth, but particularly those of weaker human stakeholders, such as the poor. Put simply, their presence makes the human condition unbelievable. So it's a sobering reality to have to grapple with what ecologists, environmentalists have been telling us really for the last 50 years, but in the mainstream, the last, what, two or three years, right? We've been really hearing about this in the mainstream, but environmentalists and science, these very scientists, they've been saying these things for many years, right? Um, there are, I listened to a podcast, there's an environmentalist named Jim Bindell, Bimdell, and he wrote a paper and he tried to submit it to various journals, scientific journals, and they wouldn't accept it because they felt like it would scare people too much and cause chaos and hysteria. Um, and I'm trying to think of the name. It'll come to me eventually. But um, eventually he just published it himself on his blog. And um, I listened to him speak about it on this podcast, and it frightened me. Quite frankly, it frightened me. Um, you know, I have children and I, you think, you don't think about what could potentially happen where like our species no longer exists, 
And, you know, you go from angry to frustrated to frightened and all these various feelings that I'm sure some of you have probably experienced from what you're learning as well. And ultimately, we're conditioned to look around to think about, well, who's to blame? And I'm here to tell you that no one is to blame. No one is to blame. And I know that's hard to stomach because we have built social systems that say that someone has to be accountable and someone is to blame. <coughs> but the reason why we got off track um, is it's just an evolutionary reality as to the reasons we've gotten off track. And beginning about 10,000 years ago, with the changes that occurred due to the agricultural revolution, human-made social systems and industrial systems have gradually become misaligned with the relationship with nature. It's, it's gradually, over the course of thousands of years, gotten humans away from, and I specifically say civilized humans, because indigenous people, they live these ways naturally. And indigenous people on this continent, even though they've been pushed into the corners and into the and they've been like, you know, ignored, they've been pushing for these environmentally sustainable practices. But those of us who've come up in these industrialized, quote unquote, civilized societies, we've um, gradually gotten misaligned over time. And there's several reasons, again, why it happened. And I won't take the time. Was it 233? I'll get into it a little bit. I have a little time. <laughs> But I'll tell you this, um, I go into it in detail on a podcast that I created called Theory of Indivisibility. I go into the history. <laughs> I go into the history of the misalignment. But. And you start at the beginning of the universe. And just like <laughs> strap yourself in for the ride. Yes, yes. Um, basically, humans, hominoids, homo sapiens, we evolved onto this earth approximately 200,000 years ago. And prior to that, and during that same time, there were other humanoid species that existed on this earth that went extinct. Um, and Homo sapiens, we're the only extinct species of humans that are still on the earth. Hello. And, um, I just want to tell all of you, this is like news to me, because prior to like two years ago, before I went on this journey, I didn't know any of this. OK, so I want you all to know that I'm not someone who was like a scientist my whole life. I'm someone who was literally seeking us, seeking a truth and seeking a consistency of patterns. And I think that's a relevant you know, connection to make with you all. So. Give you a little more context on how I got here. My desire to be a part of the solution in the world came out of my desire to solve like the quote unquote race relation issues and the divide around around race. That was like my my introduction into me trying to be a problem solver in these ways that I you hear you're hearing me speak today. Um, I had a podcast called Race Haven Solutions Focused Dialogue about race relations in America. 
And everything you hear me reference is at my website, igotogrow.com. I'll say that many times. But um, while I was at work, I also had a Facebook group of like a thousand people that would come into this group and we would dialogue about race relations, all different backgrounds. And ultimately, because of my teachings and my learnings and systems thinking, I understood that there weren't long-term, like the problems that existed in the system of race, there were no solutions within the system of race. Um, there were no solutions there. And my systems thinking mind told me that, that since every system, everything is a system, right? What are the what are the feedbacks that are feeding race relations? What are the feedbacks that are feeding the divides within that system of race? Those feedback loops that we continue to see um, that cause all the, the dysfunction and the divide in society around race, those are feedback loops as well. I'm sure you all notice the patterns. They continue to come up. It's like we can't get away from them because they're feedback loops. Um, so my systems thinking mind got me to thinking like, well, what, what systems feed, you know, race? And I realized that if I wanted to really be solutions oriented and really get to the root of this, I need to understand all of the solutions, all of the systems that birthed racism. And that got me on a journey towards creating what's called my theory of indivisibility. And so when I started researching, so I came up with this theory of indivisibility. I was driving along in my car one day. I'm, I'm just going to give it to you how it came to me. I was driving along in my car one day, and I literally said, okay, if everything is a system and every system interacts and relates with others, like what systems, you know, continue to cause this divide with race? So I said, okay, capitalism. Like racism is, is profitable in some, in some aspects, right? It's profitable, so that's one thing. And then I said, okay, well, what feeds capitalism? And then I said, okay, well, if there's, if I have race, let's say I have a circle here with race inside that circle, then within, let's draw another circle in your mind, and that's capitalism and race is within that, racism, racism and the concept of race is all within capitalism. Well, what birthed that? And I said, hmm, ownership, concept of ownership. So we draw a line, draw a circle of ownership. And, and I said, well, what? fed ownership and these, these ideas of people owning other people and things like that. And really it's men, you know, who've done all these things. So what birthed that? Patriarchy. Hmm. What birthed patriarchy? I'm sorry. No, I came to religion later. Um, so what birthed patriarchy? And ultimately, and then religion, I said, okay, and religion came in that scenario as well. And I said, okay, because um, with religion, it, it started to come to my mind that when religions evolved in societies, like they were always male dominated. And I knew that patriarchy impacted that. Then I'm like, well, what impacted patriarchy? How did that get here? Why is that a thing? And then ultimately it came to me the ideas of power and power over and control. So I'm like, okay, power over. So I literally had, I literally uh, how to do these things because I told you that systems thinking gave me these tools, learning systems thinking gave me the tools to be able to draw these diagrams in my mind. So I um, I said, it's power. It's like our relationship to power and really power over. That birthed patriarchy, that birthed religion, that birthed patriarchy, that birthed ownership, that birthed systemic racism. 
um, I'm sorry, that birth capitalism, that birth systemic racism. And ultimately, that's how my theory of indivisibility came about. But at that time, it was still just a theory. And I had, now I had to go and prove it. I literally took about two months to like do the research that I needed to do to prove what was what I was thinking. And as I started to do the scientific research, I had to keep going back further and further and further in terms of like our understanding of these systems, human-made systems and nature and making that connection. And the further I went back um, in terms of my understanding, I literally went all the way back to the scientific understanding of the, the start of the universe, which is the Big Bang. And I had to confront through this research, I had to confront a lot of my, a lot of things I learned growing up. And um, what I realized is that a lot of the science that I was learning was is relatively new. Literally in the last, these, these are advancements that have happened within like the last 150 years. So all these wonderful fields of science, the, you know, the archaeology, the paleontology, the genetics, the psychology, um, you name it, right? There's like so many fields of science. Linguists, I can think of so many different ones. They literally have all pretty much evolved to the point where we know them today, where they're providing so many answers to our world, cosmology, et cetera, um, astronomy. They all have evolved in the last 100, approximately around the, like the last 150 years, a very short period of time because humans have evolved in our understanding and the, and the, the uh, technologies to support the learning and growth. So we've come so far in that 150 years, um, whereas previously these things were when it, you know, so science now has provided all this evidence for the way that, you know, the world has evolved and how we got here, whereas previously it was religion that provided those answers. And so as I confronted all these things, um, I began to get confirmation through my research and it's, it provided support for what I call my theory of indivisibility. So that's, you know, how I got here. <laughs> in terms of my understanding of these things and how, why I'm able to have these conversations. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of research. Like, um, I literally did nothing for like two months except for, except, except for research uh, to, to, to write down the foundation for, you know, what I was thinking and it gave me confirmation. So that's why I'm able to, you know, say these things to you with a level of, um, you know, confidence because of the research that I did. And I never, I, I asked questions. I asked all the skeptical questions as I was doing this research, all the skeptical questions. Well, how do you know that, you know, how do scientists know that a bone is 1 million years old? You know, like, how can they know that? And then I read about carbon dating. Well, how does carbon dating work? I went down those rabbit holes, you know, and it makes sense. If you, if you understand the basics of science that we all learn in school, and then you start doing the research, it just makes sense. It's, it, it connects. And um, also understanding the basics of the relationships that I just explained to you previously about our relationship to nature and the oxygen and plants and that whole symbiotic relationship. Everything I'm saying, the patterns that I'm speaking in, it applied across every connection that I made as I did the research that I did to bring me to where I am and the understandings that I have today. Prior to that, I was just moving throughout the world, kind of oblivious and just going along with the flow and 
you know, I was raised as a Christian, so I, I, the Bible was my history book and my science book growing up. So that was just it. That was cool. I didn't, and there was no reason for me to even want to try to like challenge any of those teachings and learnings. The only thing that got me to the point to even want to start doing the research that I did to bring me to this point is because I'm tired of seeing people out here fighting and arguing and killing each other and killing the environment and making this place unsustainable. That's the bottom line. And because I'm wired the way I am to want to like solve problems and get to solutions, it forced me to go down a path to be able to have the conversation I'm having with you all today. I hope that makes sense. I love my children. I love all of you. <laughs> and it's like that love that I have that pushed me to do and put the time in to do the research and things that I've been doing. So that's a little more context for you all. So, of course, because I have that love for all of you, I have that love for my children. When I think about these sustainability issues and we're talking about, you know, Jim Vendell, the scientist, the environmentalist I listened to in that podcast, to hear him say in the next, he's predicting five to 10 years that we may see some catastrophic natural disasters that's going to change our entire way of life. And. It's like um, we're already starting to see it. We're seeing hurricanes and wildfires and all these things to the level and degree that we've never seen before. We're seeing the rising of the oceans because the polar ice caps are melting and now it's making life unsustainable on small islands out in the Caribbean and the you know um, very small islands throughout the world. Those people's islands may be underwater in the next few years not what can happen here, even in the United States, because of the severity of these various storms and things that are continuing to happen. And it's so important now more than ever that we take heed to, oh, let me say it like this. So what does that mean? What is what is the, for me, what, I, what do I conclude? What I conclude based on everything I've shared and based on the things that you all are hearing as well is that what we've been doing isn't sustainable. It doesn't work. The human made social systems that evolved out of the industrial revolution, I'm sorry, out of the agricultural revolution for the survival reasons, all the reasons that it happened, whatever the reason, again, there's no one to blame. Those were the evolutionary realities of how those humans chose to survive at those times. And it evolved into what we have as our social systems, social systems today, where we have these various divides it's come to a head. And because we have the benefit of being alive in 2019 and we have historical perspective and we're alive during a time where the science, the science has evolved to inform us in the ways that we can be informed, it's time that we do things differently. And we have this, we have the know-how, we have the skills, we've evolved in our cognitive abilities to be able to do things differently. We've, we've evolved in our cognitive abilities to understand that chopping folks' heads off with a guillotine is just inhumane. But at one time, that was normal, right? So a lot of times when I talk and people hear me say, talk about my theories and things, they're like, you know, it's just human nature to be evil to one another and do things like that. But if you really look, even our, we've evolved, we've been evolving. And when you study, when you study the evolution of everything, like I, I've taken the time to do, our brains also evolved. 
over the course of millions of years. The brain that we now use and operate has is an evolutionary marvel to be able to think and do the way that we do as humans is like an evolutionary marvel. But there was a time there were earlier humans that couldn't think and articulate and problem solve in the ways that we can today. So we can't hold them accountable and be upset and point the finger like, why did they think that war and, you know, chopping each other's heads off or, you know, all these various things was the right thing to do. But we do have the power today to say, okay, we've evolved to a point where we can make a change. We can make that we can do things differently going forward. It just takes the awareness. So let me get, let me jump back into my notes. I totally went on a tangent. Thank you for going with me. <laughs> and <laughs> I wanted to point out a couple of those human-made systems. So I talked about there's natural systems and then there's human-made systems. So humans are nature, so we're natural systems. But in order for us to like to, to do what we do and have culture and, and language and all these things, everything that, that exists right now, even the way we talk, the patterns, is all a process of, of evolution because at one point humans didn't talk the way that we talk. So everything was an adaptation and then it evolved. Our industrial systems, so within human systems, there's social systems and industrial systems. So our social systems encompass language, um, you know, governance, parenting, even things, various things. Those are all social constructs. Gender is a social construct. Everything that exists that makes, puts things in like perspective and order in our world, they're all, they've all were created. Humans put their head together and said, we're going to give that a name. And then they started building culture and community around the concepts that they came up with. Um, and then the industrial systems were created to support that. So cars, roads, buildings, you know, housing, shelter, clothing, all these various things are industrial systems. Um, so with that being said, I want to focus on just a couple of the um, social systems that evolved that have kind of gotten us out of alignment with nature, the natural design, the magic, the magical design that we talked about earlier. And I feel bad for those of you who came late, but um, this is being recorded. So it, uh, hopefully you'll go back if you're like lost and this doesn't make sense. But um, so one of those human made systems was power over. One of those human made systems was power over that, that got us out of alignment. Replace egalitarianism because for approximately the first 190 or 290,000 years, depending on if you think it's 200, 300,000 years, it's like an approximate. But let's just say 90% of Homo sapiens' existence on this earth, they lived as an egalitarian society. They lived, they cooperated, they shared. They operated in that natural, you know, symbiotic way that nature was designed. And so power over and control, once that came into play, where humans started wielding power over one another, that's one of the things that got us out of alignment. But here's the neat thing. Think about this. It's been about 10,000 years that we've been treating each other like this versus there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of years where humans actually cooperated with one another. And yes, that's according to, you know, anthrop anthropological, archaeological, archaeologic, paleo, all the various sciences have weaved together these understandings based on what they've been able to find. Um, Another one is a concept called growth, right? 
and growth replaced balance. Remember we talked about balance earlier? Growth replaced balance. So let's talk about growth. Our entire value systems is centered on the idea of growth and abundance. Think about that, like our economies, our values. It's like we're, all, we're always like trying to grow. Even, you know, if you know me and my brand, my brand is grow, right? But in a different way. But um, <laughs> we think about growth. When we think about a company, you know, companies, their main thing is to grow, 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 grow. If you're not growing, you're dying. And it's to, you know, this the growth is the is the goal for, you know, endless profits. Building wealth is all about, you know, growth and abundance, right? So growth replaced balance. And if you think about our conventional schooling, it's designated to position those who thrive in it for growth and wealth building opportunities. Right? Everything's about growth. The interesting thing is too much growth in the natural world, or, or let's go back to our, our human system example we talked about. We talked about all the various systems of the human body earlier. Well, too much growth in our human systems leads to cancer. That's what, that's what too much growth is. When you get out of balance and we're out of balance with the natural magic of the sustainable ways that we've been designed, it leads to that dysfunctional thing that will kill us, which is cancer cancerous but our human systems are built on growth all right think about that for a second another interesting thing about our human systems when it comes to growth is that we're told to sacrifice our happiness in the now for future opportunities of what growth right if you want to reach your fullest potential think about all the sacrifice you have to make to grow later or to, I'm sorry, to, um, you know, again, for wealth. I'm using growth and wealth kind of interchangeably here, but that's what we're kind of sold, right? Another thing, another human system that has gotten us out of alignment is value, the idea of value. And what has that replaced? Value has replaced the symbiotic relationship the symbiotic give and take relationship that we talked about in our examples earlier. So what do I mean by value? We're told that some people have more value than others. We're told that this human made social construct of race, that people of European descent were given this name called white people. And that, that name has more value than people we give other names in terms of that social construct of race and that within that system. We have something, some humans have more value within this, the realm of class, where if someone is more wealthy and they have more quote unquote wealth and abundance, they have more value than someone who's on the lower rung of that spectrum from wealth all the way down to, to poor. We look at different careers within our social systems. And the way that we show value is that we pay certain people more than we pay other people. And we condition all of us to be okay with it. Because we've all been in doctrine. Growth and value and these various things is the natural order of things. We've been conditioned to think that's just the way it works and it's the way it should work. 
But the reality is, is concepts like these that have gotten us out of alignment that have put us in the sustainability crisis that we're in today. So we've been indoctrinated to think that a surgeon is more important than a farmer. And we show that because we pay surgeons a ton of money and we pay, let's say a farmer, we value that less, they don't make as much money or someone who builds the roads that the surgeons need to get to work or the people who build the, you know, the, the builders or even the people who pick the fruit from the farms who help the farmers, they get paid even less. But, you know, we have this society that says what they do and the ways they contribute doesn't have much, as much value as other people within that chain or that system. And I hope that as I'm saying these things, you all are thinking back to the patterns that we talked about earlier within the natural systems about value. I had a conversation with um, someone I'm in a relationship with and, and, you know, about this. And she was just telling me like, but yeah, they know surgeons deserve, she used surgeons, like that's why I'm coming with this one because she actually used that. They deserve to make more money. They're, they're much more important because they, you know, give life or help people live that may be on their way out. Like we, they are important. They are more important. They do deserve more money. How many of you probably are sitting here in your mind, you're like, yeah, they do deserve more money than the janitor, the janitor that, that works at the hospital, right? It's like logically in a linear world, in a linear world, that's logical. But when you can think about things systemically, It starts, I, here's what I hope, that you'll start to question and grapple with these things. Because again, do plants look at you and say, hmm, you deserve less oxygen because you're a janitor or a teacher or a farmer and that surgeon deserves extra oxygen today because that person's important. No. But imagine if they did, imagine, when I say they, the plants that provide the oxygen, imagine if, if the natural world worked the way we create our human systems to work. Imagine that. Your life, you're gonna, we're gonna cut your supply off. <laughs> you're a teacher, so you only get about five years worth of, of living supply of oxygen <laughs> because you're only a teacher. Or you're a, you said you're in sales specifically, let's talk to you specifically, you're in sales. We don't really need you. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need you around for so long. We'll give you 10 years of oxygen. Like imagine if, if the natural world created treated us that way. Um, again, they don't value, they don't, there's no value. It's just a relationship. And we don't, and that's not even something that we give thought, but humans, we kind of, again, evolutionary for evolutionary reasons, um, have in a way just like overthought it or just gotten out of alignment. That's the best way to put it. So what I'm, what I'm getting to with these examples is that, you know, when you ask the question, why are some people more successful than, than others? Why are some, some people quote unquote successful and some people aren't? In the linear world, in the ways that we've been taught in our human systems is because they fall in the right class. They have the right race. 
they have the right career, their gifts, their natural gifts and ability. They were born LeBron James and could jump and run and shoot a basketball really, really well. There's like all these like unearned privileges that certain people have, the ways that our human systems have been designed and the ways they've evolved over time to say that some people are quote unquote more successful than others. But here's the systems thinking answer to that. Here's the theory of indivisibility answer to that question. The reason why some people are quote unquote more successful than others is because our social systems are flawed and they don't work for everybody. Oxygen works for everybody. Rain, the water cycle that gives us water, it works for every plants producing food works for everybody even though humans have messed that up and gotten in the way of that natural process. It's totally inhumane. But think about that. Natural systems work for everybody. Those circles work for everybody. So why don't our human systems work for everybody? They should. So in nature, balance is the intention. In human-made systems, growth, wealth, competition, those things have become the intention. And that creates what? Insustainability, unsustainability. So, how does SDE a part of the solution? <laughs> how is SDE a part of the solution? <laughs> Self-directed education is a very unique space. It's a unique system. Self-directed self education says that every person is designed to think and learn. Every person is born to think and learn. Self-directed education says that we don't have to do anything special or unique to make that happen. It just is because that's the natural design of things. Our children were born to think and learn. Self-directed education <laughs> provides a learning environment that says that no one's skills have more value than anyone else's. If a kid is really, really gifted in you know, reading and writing. And another kid is really good and gifted at tumbling and running and jumping and using their body to express themselves. They have equal value here. If a kid is really good at cooking and another kid is really good at singing, like they're not stratified here based on based on ability. No one has more value or power because of their abilities. No one has less. Self-directed education in this in these spaces, they don't will power and control over young people. There's a symbiotic give and take relationship between the facilitators and the young people. 
for the people who do it at home, same thing. The people who choose to unschool or the adults that choose to facilitate this in any context, they choose to show up differently to be in relationship with young people as opposed to wielding power over young people. It's not about forcing growth in self-directed education. It's not about saying in order to hit this marker to get to this end desired result that equals success or wealth, you have to do X, Y, Z in a certain amount of time, irregardless of your natural paces. Self-directed education honors natural growth because Natural growth leads to balance and sustainability. Self-directed education understands that all of us have a role. And by being in relationship with one another, we'll meet each other's needs naturally. The person who's good at singing can entertain while the person who's good at writing will do the writing and the organizing and the collecting of the information in our community. The person who's good at speaking and oratorical skills will convey what they're seeing the person that is tinkering and building and developing things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you self-directed education understands that if you leave humans to their devices, all of the needs of any community will be met naturally because that's the magical design. Earlier, I gave you a list of, of lessons from, from nature. I've been speaking in patterns, and I'm sure those you are picking up on the pattern. Give me a thumbs up if you're picking up on the patterns I'm kind of speaking with. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to replace the word human with the, with the word nature. Humans are innately designed to create balance and sustainability. No thought or special training is required for these processes to occur. No human is more important or has more value than the others, and they need each other to function. Each human is adequate and necessary. We don't think about or fear whether or not there will be enough, insert whatever, like human societal need for everyone. We don't fear whether or not there'll be enough, you know, for everyone. We don't judge people by how much they give or don't give, because we know that it's the collective effort of all humans that provides enough resources for us all. And earlier, I gave you all a magic formula that I call nature's economy. And I'll say it again for those of you who came late. It's that each system automatically meets the needs of other systems as a byproduct of meeting its own needs. In human systems, the way self-directed education is creating space for who you are and who your children are automatically meets the needs of others as a and is a byproduct of you meeting your own needs. So think about that. 
So the same way we talked about the human systems and how they just work, no thought needed. It's just the way it's designed, right? No value, none of those power structures, nothing there. Imagine if we, we take what self-directed education is automatically naturally doing and applied it across all of our human systems. And we took this out into the world and shared it with everyone. And we continue to create community around our young people so they can continue to naturally evolve in the ways they were naturally designed. For me, that is the solution to our sustainability problems. Because there will be no need for ideas like money and growth and building wealth or any of those things. There's no need for that. There's just balance. Humans living in the ways that make them happy, doing the things that they're going to do to be happy would automatically be a byproduct. I'm sorry, will automatically meet the needs of others. So the person who loves feeding people, how many of you know someone who loves feeding people? It's like they literally get life from feeding others. We know people who love building things. Like that's their passion, right? They love it. They will automatically meet the needs of people in their communities that need housing. The same way that people who love feeding people will automatically meet the needs of people who need to eat. People who love to entertain would automatically meet the needs of other people because they love to entertain naturally. You don't have to give it any special thought or any special training, right? It just happens naturally because that's the magical design by nature, God, the universe, whatever you believe. And that's how self-directed education is a solution for our sustainability problems because I believe that we all are doing really, really important work by bringing this into the world, creating space for young people in ways. And the more that we unlearn the unnatural, dysfunctional, unsustainable behaviors that we've all grown up and been indoctrinated with, to continue to learn more sustainable behaviors and actions and beliefs and et cetera, in ways that a lot of you already are doing, even before I came to give this talk, and help you make connections to the grand scheme of things in this way, then we are being, we're, we're being the solutions for a sustainable world. That's all I got. song new vision is performed by Achilles the cosmonaut find more from Achilles the cosmonaut on your favorite music streaming app <laughs>